want to focus your attention on the screen uh, for an illustrative example. Something coming up in the, the message this morning. We'll be finding Mark chapter 12 in your Bibles, Mark chapter 12, the gospel of Mark, because today I'm going to be preaching a message, how to help the ushers have a winning season. No, not really. That's not the title of the message. The title of the message is when God gets the tithe, when God gets the tithe. Y'all excited? I'm going to be talking about tithing today. Can I have an amen? No standing ovation for that, right? God, by His very nature, is a giver. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally to all who ask. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is given from the Father of lights, in whom there is no turning. Matthew 7.11 says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? God is a giver. It's His nature to give and to be giving. It's part of who He is. The words believe, believer, or believing are found in the Scriptures 277 times. The words love, loving, lover, those things are mentioned 714 times. Pray, praying, Prayer, those are mentioned 371 times, but the words give, giving, and giver are found 2,162 times in the Scripture. 
Jesus spoke more about money in his word than he did about heaven and hell. He spoke about money. He spoke about giving. So I want you to read with me beginning in verse 41 in chapter 12 about a widow. Mark 12, 41 begins this way. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. Let's stop right there for a second. The scene is the temple courtyard. The courtyard was called the court of women. So it was a place that was open where people could come. I want you to see the pic behind me of that. So it's kind of like this. In this courtyard, there are 13 receptacles for giving, 13 trumpet vials. And most often they had an opening at the top and they grew larger down toward the bottom. People would come to these 13 vials and they would give their offering. In Jesus' day, when those 13 were there, people would come, they'd bring their financial gifts, and they would find which one they were giving to or supposed to give to that day. For instance, there were nine that were marked for the tithe, and there were four that were marked for special types of offerings, a voluntary type offering. We might call it a free will offering. So it, was, it would be labeled for what the gift was to go to. And so these were voluntary, whereas a tithe or some other kind of legal offering, by legal I mean in the Jewish life, legal in accordance with the law of Moses that they were to give, those nine were designated for those types of legal gifts. It might have been a temple tax, it might have been the tithe, it might have been some other uh, gift that was to be given because the law stated that it should be given. Because of where these receptacles were located in the courtyard, and because that they were labeled, people could know what you were giving to when you came forward and you gave your offering. You just simply went and gave to that one. And then, of course, they're made out of metal. And because they're made out of metal, people could also get an idea of how much you gave when you dropped your coinage into the giving receptacle. They could kind of tell because of the weight of the coins and the sound that the coins made. So that's what you have here In this courtyard, Jesus and his disciples are sitting here at the treasury where these receptacles are labeled. Maybe they're just leaning up against the wall or sitting down or something. They're they're there and they're watching. And Jesus, the Bible says, he notices, Mark, Mark tells us this, he notices how these people are giving their money into the treasury. So let's read on from there. He continues in verse 41 to say, Many who were rich put in much... Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrants. So this woman comes and she throws in two small coins that equals a quadrants. Now you can tell by the word quad in there that has something to do with four. Well, these two mites are worth about an eighth each. Together combined, they are worth about a one-fourth of a cent. Very little value to these two coins. We're not told whether her offering was of the required type or whether it was a voluntary type. Most likely it was a required type of offering. It was probably a tithe or she gave it in the sense of covering her tithe. Whatever the case, we're told that it's a very small amount that she gave. Look at verse 43 as we continue on. Seeing this, Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she put in out of her poverty, all that she had, her whole livelihood. This morning I want to talk to you about what tithing does. 
Here's what tithing does. If you're a note taker, just write this down. First of all, tithing teaches me to put God first. See, a lot of times we come to this area of tithing, giving to the Lord, and we think, I'm doing this for God. The truth is, I'm doing it partly for myself. God asks me to tithe a 10% of what I have been given from Him back to Him, and it teaches me to respect Him more. It teaches me to put Him first. So I'm going to give you three sub-points. First of all, here's how it teaches me to put Him first. Through tithing, I demonstrate my respect for God. I demonstrate to Him my reverence to Him. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 and 23 reads, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where He chooses to make His name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. There's no other way for you and I to acknowledge that God has first place in our life apart from acknowledging it through the tithe, through giving Him of our substance, what He's provided us with. There's no other way for to acknowledge Him as being the giver of all without us giving unto Him, without us trusting Him with all that we have. Our respect for Him is demonstrated by us giving back to Him what He's asked us to give to Him. A second sub-point is this, through tithing, I demonstrate trust and dependency on Him. By giving to Him, I'm trusting that He will take care of the rest of my needs. By giving to Him, I'm actually telling Him, God, I am depending upon You by giving back to You. My dependence is on You. I thank You for the job I have. It's helpful, but the truth is, if that were to be gone tomorrow, my trust is already established in You. In You, I trust for my provision. Through tithing, I demonstrate trust and dependency on Him that He will take care of all of my needs, that He is the one who supplies and He will supply anything that may be lacking. Another way that it teaches me to put Him first is this, that tithing enables me to put all the other parts of my life in order. That's part of the benefit I get by tithing to Him. And how quickly we learn that we struggle to keep our lives in order when we don't put the first thing first. There's one to have priority, and it's God. When God is at the priority, as we seek Him about the other things in our life, He helps us to adjust our lives in a way, or He fashions our lives and the circumstances of our life in a way. There's order in our life instead of chaos. And how many know that in many, many homes, money causes chaos? How many times in our own homes has money caused chaos? When money is out of order, then the rest of our lives is out of order. When God is not at the top of the order, then we don't have the help that we need to put our lives in order. Tithing enables me to put the other parts of my life in order. At a festival, a city festival, the owner of an open cockpit plane was selling rides for $25 per person. Well, this man's wife kept nagging him, I want to go up in that plane. I want to know what it's like to ride in a plane like that. Let's go, let's go. Well, he was a tightwad. That's what we'd call him. He was a tightwad. He didn't want to spend money going up like that, but she kept nagging him. So finally, he went and talked to the the pilot. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, he started negotiating. We want to go up, but I don't want to pay more than $25. 
We're willing to go if both of us can go for $25. After all, that doesn't matter to you. It's, it's, and we both go, you're still getting 25 bucks as if one person was taking the flight. So why don't you let both of us go and I'll pay you the $25. The pilot kept arguing with him. No, that's not the way it works. Finally, he gave in, but he said on this condition, you pay the $50 up front, $25 apiece, and if you can manage to keep your mouth closed and not say a word throughout the entire flight, I'll give you $25 back. You'll have the deal that you're looking for. He thought for a second and he said, it's a deal. Well, the pilot knew there was no way he was going to lose money on this deal. So he got up there and I mean, he started taking nosedives. He started taking hairpin turns, spins and swirls and all kinds of things. I mean, he just knew this man was going to blurt out for mercy, but nothing. He said nothing. He just kept flying and flying, saying nothing at all. Finally, the pilot's done this so long, he himself is about to get sick, so he finally lands the plane. He lands the plane, they walk over and start talking. He said, I cannot believe you could withstand everything I was dishing out while I was flying this plane. He said, I'm getting sick. He said, I don't see how you could take all that. He said, well, i got to tell you, it was awful hard, especially when I saw my wife fly out of the plane. Then, he said, it was all I could do to keep my mouth shut about that. You see, his priorities in life centered around money, and his life was out of order. He was more bent on saving money than he was caring about his own wife, you know? And so, some of you are still hanging on that one. You'll figure it out later, I guess. I don't know. I thought it was good. I'll just be honest with you. I thought it was a good one, you know. But anyway, we get our lives out of order when it is so centered on what I can keep and what I want to have instead of what I'm to give to God. Tithing is a demonstration of priority, respect, trust, and dependency on God. As we get the money part right with God, we're able to bring order to the other aspects of our lives, order to our relationships, order to our work, order to our time schedules, and order to our worship. Jesus teaches this, that, that while the rich may have been putting into the offering what was required, in comparison to how much they had been given, it amounted to very little. While this woman had so little to give, she gave all that she could possibly give. Compared to what she had, it amounted to much. In their giving, they demonstrated to God, each of them, whether or not he was first place in their life. The amount given demonstrates to God whether or not he has first place in our lives. Tithing teaches us to put God first, and it teaches us how to trust him. Secondly, tithing is God's minimal measure of giving. The word tithe means tenth or ten percent of what God gives you. He says it belongs to him. Look at the scripture from Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30. The Bible says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. It is what, everybody? Holy to the Lord. The tithe is, say it again, holy. The tithe is holy. You mean, how can that inanimate object that has no personality, it's just a thing, there's no life in that, how can that wad of money be holy to the Lord? How can 10% of that be holy and not the rest of it? Well, it's holy to the Lord because it is set apart by the Lord 
for himself. And we don't like to think of our money that way. That when First Baptist Church Garrison pays me a wage for ministering and serving and preaching the word, that 10% of the wage that I have to live on is it's set apart by him for himself. But he has me be the manager of it. And he leaves it up to me whether or not I'm, I'm going to submit it back to him. It's holy. Here's the words that are interchangeably used in scripture for holy. Holy, consecrated, set apart. It's consecrated unto him for his work. It's a pretty incredible thing that I would keep it to myself. When he says in, in Malachi, why do you rob me? They said, how do we rob you, God? He said, by not bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. He said, you're robbing me. Well, it's not your money, God. Oh, yes, it is. Listen, if you want to, if you want to joust with God, just tell him what you have didn't come from him. He has a way of teaching us, doesn't he? Sometimes, and, and we learn quickly that our dependency is on Him. He is the sole provider of all that we have. And so a part of that, He says, I want you to return back to me, that tithe, return it to me for my work, and for my ministry. Some people want to say, well, in, New, in the New Testament, it doesn't demand the tithe. It doesn't talk about coming and tithing and bringing that to the temple and all of those things. And some view the tithing is, is just an Old Testament law. But Jesus affirmed the tithe in Matthew chapter 23. and verse 23, he rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees in the simple statement that he actually made about something else. He, he wasn't talking about them not tithing. In fact, I think they were by the statement he makes. He was onto them for focusing only on the fact that they were tithing. But they were neglecting to do some other things. They were neglecting to show justice, mercy, and faith toward others. And Jesus says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He says, you don't leave the tithing undone, but neither should you leave mercy and justice and faith undone. They are all unto the Lord. And you're to serve the Lord with all of your heart in that way. So he didn't do away with the tithe. He said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what belongs to God. And some people say, well, see there, he, he's, he doesn't say tithe and all that. He didn't have to use the word. It was already the measure, the minimal measure that was expected of those who sought after God and followed God. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 8 makes a reference to the law of Moses and he speaks about supporting the work of the ministry through the giving that was commanded in the law. In verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 9, he said, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of those things? In other words, you're supplying the need of the ministers at the temple is what he said. And then on in the New Testament, he talks about the ministers being worthy of their hire. He says double honor ought to be given to those who teach the word of God. So the tithe makes that possible. And what about the tithe also provides a place where we can come and we can meet. It provides a place that, that we can build that actually exemplifies who he is. And so God is not just in the church building. God is in our hearts. But when we come together and we have a place set apart for his majesty and his glory and worship unto him... 
Tithing helps to provide those kinds of places and facilities where discipleship can take place and worship can take place as a group together. So just as the priests in the Old Testament received a portion of the tithe that was given, the work and ministry of the church is supplied by the tithes that are given unto the church. But I don't want you to miss the spiritual aspect of the tithe, okay? It's real important. God considers it holy unto Him. And you don't keep for yourself what God has set apart as belonging to Him and being holy for His holy purposes. So I want you to... to I want to show you something very good. You know, they were an agricultural um, area. And so he talked about the fruit of the land that a tenth belonged to him. And so if that's the way that we all function, we're just the fruit of the land, then we would do the same thing. But it's just not that way these days. But anyway, here we go. There's one. Count with me. Two. Three. Four.
took dog. Why? Because I got sick. That old bug. That's where that went. And we're quick say, Well, there went your towel, Lord. Went down there, Doctor Such and Such. You know, I'll catch up with you next time. No, you won't, because he put you on prescription. Right? There's a prescription. All right, now we got that every month. Well, oh, we'll catch up. No, no, that car is down there in place. Good grief. I knew I shouldn't have bought that car. It was too much. I've got to get me another one. Four door, four wheel drive, brand new, because you won't do it. Here we go. But hey, Lord, one of the things, we'll catch up. We'll, we'll get it right. But I've got to lay this thing down. Because I don't want to get flipped over on this thing. But you started out flipped over on that thing. Martin Luther said this, I've had many things in my hands and I lost them all. But of the things that I put in God's hands, I still possess those things. Everything I've given to God, I still have. In some way, some form, some fashion or another, I lost nothing. I gave them to Him, but I didn't lose. But everything I kept for myself, I lost it. Somewhere, somehow, someway, it vanished. And I think anybody who's here who's an adult that has earned wages, that has had to provide for your household, you understand the word vanish, don't you? Where'd all this money go, honey? Well, we paid the bills. It vanished. I'm just telling you, it vanished. Well, I thought we were making it okay. Well, we were, but this came up, this came up, this came up. And look, listen, I'm tell you guys something. In our house, she handles the books. And there have been those times where I'm like, well, you're the miracle worker. You make it happen. She's not a banker, guys. We sit back sometimes and we say, well, you should have made that work. While we're not being the leader saying, this is to you, Lord. We lead our families to say, this is yours. You set it apart. Now you just ask me to be obedient. I'm giving it to you. And he provides with it. Let me just give you the third point. And that's this. Tithing and giving is rewarded with sufficiency in all things. 
But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. In other words, don't give just because you're hoping to get something back. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, listen to this, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. Everything you've ever wanted to do for the Lord, He will enable you to do because you put Him first. All sufficiency, He says, in every good work. All grace abound toward you. On a TV show called Fathers Knows Best, how many remember the old show? I was a little kid. Father knows best. The home received a check in the mail for $1,000. Now, back in that day, it was a lot of money. $1,000. And a note read, thanks for helping me. So everybody's sitting around the table, and they're all saying, well, that must have been me. I did this. And the other one, that must have been me. I did that. So that money's because of me. It comes to me. And they were all trying to figure out, what did we do to deserve this? And who gets the reward for it? Who gets that? The man had said that uh, he'd signed it, but they didn't know who he was. And he said he'd be coming back through town, and he would stop by to visit. Well, everyone in the house, thinking that they deserved it, when he finally came by, they realized it was this. He came by and he said, I was really down one day, and this little girl gave me a piece of chewing gum. And she encouraged my heart more than you can ever imagine. It was the little daughter, and she had just been kind and she gave it to him, and that man just blessed in such a way. And that's the way God is. When we put him first, just in his own way, however he chooses to decide, and we don't get to decide all the time, we just live for him, we're giving unto him, and we're just going to keep being faithful. And what he does is he causes all grace to abound toward us that we might have all sufficiency for everything that we need. That's the way God works. So the question is this. Does God have your tithe? Does God have your tithe or are you keeping the tithe? Does God know that He is priority? Have you learned that benefit? I just want to encourage you from someone who knows down through the years since the age of 29, one month before I turned 29, I committed to Lord the tithe. Before that, I was just a feel-good giver. If it felt good, I gave. But we committed to the Lord to tithe a month before I got married. And Crystal and I have kept that commitment to the Lord. And we can tell you that God will make all grace abound toward you, that you'll have what you need. All sufficiency will be yours when you make God the receiver, the recipient of the tithe. Because he by nature is a giver. And he will give abundantly when you put him first.